Chapter four, the world in Korea. John said it was a good life. I was a combat pilot fighting a good war. And he said this in 1951. Take it away, Nikki. Okay. John could buy a car in February of his senior year at West Point and not have to make a payment until August when he got his first paycheck. He bought a 1949 four-door Ford, gunmetal, metallic in color. I was so proud of that car, he said. The new graduates had two months for real vacation time. John and a friend decided to sail to Europe. Well, on the boat, they learned they could buy a motorcycle in Germany, which, they agreed, would allow them to cover more of Europe in less time. After getting their motorcycles, they headed out of Germany as fast as possible. The war had only been over for four years, and Germany was decimated, John remembered. The people were sullen and just trying to keep body and soul together. They took off for Holland, then Luxembourg, and on to Paris. At that point, they stored their motorcycles because they realized they had only been riding motorcycles and not sightseeing. While in Paris, John and his friend saw two girls wearing saddle shoes and didn't know if they were Americans, but figured it was likely because of those shoes. He said, I'll take the one on the left and you take the one on the right. It turned out the girls were from Oklahoma. They all ended up going to the French Riviera and Monte Carlo. John and his friend went on to Italy, where a young boy told them about the Isle of Capri. For $3.50 a day, they could get a room and three meals on the island. We met a divorcee who hired a taxi for us to see all the sights. Then we went to a party that night. The girls from Oklahoma arrived, and the four of them then went to Rome. Summer vacation was over. It was time to get back to the States. They caught rides on C-54s when space was available, flying first to Iceland and then to Montgomery, Alabama. In parentheses, in John's storytelling, he doesn't mention what happened to the motorcycles, parentheses closed. From there, he went to Georgia to pick up his new car since it had been driven home by Mimi and Daddy after his graduation. He was to report to San Antonio, Texas, home of Lackland Air Force Base. Driving through Houston, he stopped to see the new Shamrock Hotel because he had heard it was, quote, sight to see, unquote. Arriving in San Antonio, John remembered how he thought, here I am with a new car and spending money. We get $240 a month. The military didn't know what to do with him, however. We didn't have an U.S. Air Force in 1939, and here we were in 1949 with pilot's wings. They didn't need training, so it was decided just to requalify them as pilots. John once again asked for multi-engine planes. During that time, he would fly half a day and then play golf the other half. As a West Point graduate, he was given a choice of assignments, and he asked to be a flight instructor. They sent him to Enid, Oklahoma, home of Vance Air Force Base. He headed north out of Texas in his new car. Being a new instructor, John would experience firsthand what teaching was all about. He told about one of the worst cadets he ever received, but then said, 
that student had taught him how to, quote, fly instruments, unquote. He explained, the Air Force didn't know how to fly by instruments then, but when we were flying, there was a screen that had a little airplane on it that did show us where we were. The cadet was doing a good job of flying, and John asked him how he was managing it. The cadet replied, I'm watching that little airplane all of the time. <laughs> For others, including John, they had been watching the little airplane periodically. That's how I learned to fly instruments, said John. We invented this method for ourselves. The young man turned out to be a solid student and a successful cadet. In another case, John swapped three of his cadets for three of those working with fellow flight instructor and West Point graduate, Lieutenant Willem Harry Spillers. Lieutenant Spillers' cadets were going to flunk, he told John, and he just didn't want to see that happen. John was able to help those young cadets make it through their training successfully. At John's funeral, Brigadier General Spillers told how John was always able to help the students who were, quote, a little slower, close quote. By sheer chance, the two girls he and his friend had met in Paris were students at the University of Oklahoma in Norman. He knew they were members of Kappa Alpha Theta sorority, so he went to visit them. They invited him to a radio listening party of the Oklahoma-Texas football game. When he arrived, a young woman named Mary Esther Selby opened the door. John tells his children, if I hadn't seen those saddle shoes in Paris and met those two girls from Oklahoma, you would have had a different mama. He and Mary Esther married in August of 1950. On a Monday in April 50, 1951, John was told he would be leaving for Korea that Friday. He immediately went to see Mimi in Georgia. When he came home, he picked up his golf clubs and boarded a B-25, which was flown to Camp Stoneman, the San Francisco Port of Embarkation's primary troop staging center. One of his jobs was to incur, ensure that only physically fit troops were sent for overseas duty. Everyone underwent complete medical examinations upon arrival at Camp Pacific destinations. An array of 45 dentist chairs was kept busy on an 18-hour schedule that saw many examinations conducted and teeth filled. The military was evidently still concerned about their personnel's teeth. Upon arriving in Japan, John was assigned to the 452nd Bomb Group flying B-26s. General MacArthur was going to Inchon and said we'd be home by Christmas, but the Chinese crossed into North Korea. He soon realized the reason he was snatched so abruptly from his instructor's duties was because he was a qualified B-25 pilot, and that meant he could fly the B-26 without any training. He also learned this sudden deployment was partially the result of a protest march in Los Angeles by wives of men with the B with the 452nd group. There had been no replacements for the men in the unit, and the angry wives had told the world about it. The Air Force had quickly found some replacement pilots, and that included John. There were 15 new arrivals, and they went to ground school for a week, 
after which they were given a checkout. He was told to come back for instrument flight training, but John could do it better than the instructor, largely due to his work with the worst cadet ever, so they had him qualify for night flight. He was then told, you're a combat pilot. In the beginning of the flights, pilots were ordered not to shoot back at anybody. At one point, he told the base commander that he was really tired of being shot at and dodging fire over North Korea and not being able to fight back. Finally able to start firing at the enemy, the crew would fly at night for a couple of hours, getting to their destination about 1 a.m., and then dropping 500-pound bombs. Full, open quote, full adrenaline would be going during this time, said John. But when we crossed the bomb line going home, we'd get real tired, close quote. He said one time he went to sleep and couldn't get his head clear and his eyes focused. He told the kid in the cockpit to punch him hard on his right shoulder if he went to sleep. About 4 a.m., we were on our final approach. My arm was black and blue the next day. A faded newspaper article in a family scrapbook reports that John received the Distinguished Flying Cross while in Korea, the highest award given by the U.S. Air Force. The citation reads, quote, for making several strafing attacks on an enemy convoy under hazardous mountain and weather conditions. Captain John H. Saxon Jr. of Fort Valley, Georgia, was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross, unquote. The citation goes on to say that John, a pilot of a B-26 night attack bomber, was flying along the enemy's main supply route between Pyongyang and Wusan, Wonsan, on June 13, 1952, when he sighted 60 supply vehicles moving to the front under an overcast sky. Through cloud breaks, Captain Saxon made numerous attacks, scoring direct hits on 36 of the vehicles. Weather made it extremely hazardous to work at low altitudes. When his father was contacted by the media for comments about his son's award, Harold Saxon said he didn't know of the award's significance until the citation came. The reporter wrote, quote, Young Saxon had written his parents that the medal was for keeping the neatest bunk, close quote. <laughs> this lack John's need for personal honors would become a hallmark that separated him from many in the education community. It has been a standard for leaders in education to lean openly and heavily on academic degrees or publications to bolster their opinions rather than on results that meet rigorous measurement. John flew 55 missions in the Korean War. It was a good life. I was 29 years old, a combat pilot and fighting a good war, he said. The pilots lived independent type housing that had cots set up in all the rooms except for the kitchen. Somehow, he and Harry Spillers got one room to themselves. Because the heating didn't work too well, they bought a pot-bellied stove for their room that at least cut the chill and kept them fairly comfortable. He was especially impressed with the Japanese workers and how honest and hardworking they were. They were wonderful people, John said. They were everything we wanted to be. 
he told of leaving a carton of Chesterfield cigarettes by accident at a little store, and when he returned, a week later the owner gave him the carton. John gave him half the carton for being so honest. The Japanese women worked as maids, and the military personnel would pay them out of their own pockets. Quote, they were everywhere and they took care of us, close quote. In fact, because Japanese were hired to work all over the base, John said they were, in effect, running the place. Because he was married, John didn't mess around, but there was a single captain who was going into, into town and being with a lot of Japanese women. Open quote. One day, a mama-san came to the house and called out this captain. She said she would not work in a house where there was a butterfly boy, close quote. She said that if he would go with one girl, she would stay as a worker. Otherwise, she was leaving. Open quote. We knew they could not be replaced, so the captain had to stop being a butterfly boy, close quote. Words for the Korean workers were not as charitable. Quote, we were accustomed to leaving everything out in the open, so we lost everything to the Korean workers when they showed up, unquote. Half of them were fired after the first week. He specifically remembered how much he hated the smell of kimchi, a pickled cabbage. Quote, we told them they couldn't eat it in our quarters or offices, unquote. After they finished their stint in Korea, the pilots could live for a year in Japan. John found a job in the intelligence office in Tokyo because he wanted Mary Esther to experience Japan. Harry, who was also going to Japan, wanted to know if they should contact the wives first about this decision, and John said they'd let the wives know later. He said Mary Esther was not happy about this, but she had a great trip from Seattle to Yokohama because she met other traveling wives. She was afraid about doing things like this, he said but she found out she could do it. His 49 Ford was sent with her on the boat. The wives had full-time help with the Japanese government paying the maids $30 a month. John worked six days a week, and Mary Esther was now seven months pregnant with their first child, Johnny. In one of his regular letters that he sent to Mimi and his father, John explained their plans for coming home to Oklahoma a typed three-page letter dated January 23, 1953, was full of general news and thoughts on his career plans. He also said he was sure they could find the items that his sister Anne had asked for, including a tablecloth, a tablecloth that would cost about $30. They had thought they might be having twins, but the x-ray confirmed a single pregnancy. John was concerned that twins would be, quote, a lot to handle all at once, unquote. He also had trouble preventing Mary Esther from overexerting herself, he said, but she, quote, was taking it easier the past month, unquote. Because of her advanced pregnancy, they thought they should fly rather than take a boat back to the States. He didn't like the idea of living out of a suitcase for two months, however, while they waited for their ship goods to come from Japan. Maybe we'll find some way to ship additional luggage if we travel by air. Because he had bought two more suits and another sport coat, plus two uniforms, he figured he was, quote, well fixed, close quote, in clothes for another five or six years. John teased his parents that they may not, might not know him when they saw him. 
quote, my head of hair is approaching daddy's every day. I have a bald spot on the back of my head and two real thin spots on each side. I still weigh the same 165 to 170 pounds, but I fear that I'm carrying it in different places now. Seems I have to let my trousers out around the waist every year. When I was at West Point, I wore a size 30 shorts. Now I find size 36 fits well. Quote, if I didn't have anything else more important to do, I think I would worry about approaching middle age. Being 30 years old doesn't seem old at all. I remember when you were reading Life Begins at 40. I thought that was a book designed to give old people a lift so they wouldn't mind being old. It's funny how your eyes, cha- your ideas change as you grow up, close quote. He said he'd been assigned to the drone group at Elgin Air Force Base near Walton Beach, Florida. It would only be four or five hours from Fort Valley, Georgia, where Mimi lived on the family, fa- family farm. Although they had assigned as a four-engine pilot, although they had assigned him, had him assigned as a four-engine pilot, John wrote, I have ideas on how to change that when I get there. They have a lot of jets, and I plan to get checked out in them. He then got more specific about his career plans. He had his application ready for the Wright-Patterson Institute of Technology in Dayton, Ohio, where he wanted to do graduate work in aeronautical engineering in September 1953. If he were accepted, he said he would take Mary Esther to Enid to have the baby and then have her join him at Wright-Patterson when the baby was about six weeks old. A little insertion here, FYI. Paul and I lived in Dayton, Ohio for two years at the beginning of our marriage. And most most of the people who we went to church with in that community were in the Air Force and worked at that base. Wow. Got to know them quite well. I'll read a couple of these and then you maybe pick it up with number three. He told about his aims for his career on a short-term basis. One, I want to be something other than a buck pilot. Two, I want to get this training in some technical field, such as aero engineering, so that part of my job will be flying and some desk work. For I have found that too much of either is no good. I am expected to stay proficient in my flying, but when you have a job that is all desk work, you just can't find time to fly. Flying all the time gets you nowhere, for any fool can fly an airplane. He said he has a fully qualified intelligence rating now, but you can get nowhere in that field. He admitted that intelligence experience was very valuable in other fields, however. I want to get checked out in jets so I won't be left out. All of our new ships are jets, with the exception of the B-29s and the B-36s, and I'll do anything to stay away from those monsters. He closed his letter After I get my graduate work, get checked out in jets, and get a couple of years more experience, I want to go to Staff Intelligence Officer School, and I will be qualified to get a job as an air attache in some European or South American country. I want to work in a tour in Europe somewhere along the line. That should take care of the next 10 or 11 years, close quote. By then, he said he would be 40 and ready to figure where he wanted to go after that. John was accepted for the 1953 graduate program in aeronautic engineering at Wright-Patterson 
and was on the path to becoming a test pilot in jets. Mary Esther was in Enid, and Johnny was born on June 14th. John traveled back and forth to Oklahoma until his family could be moved to the base in mid-September. Wonderful chapter. I love to see him branching out as a husband and a father. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Just for him to be so dedicated to plans and wanting to live up to growth in his potential. That's, that's what he wants for all the students too. I'll tell you. Well, in that, his wife reluctant to travel to Japan. I, my brothers are both in the military and have lived all over the world with their families. And my sister-in-law has expressed how challenging it is to go to another culture with another language and, you know, to just feel comfortable in that their culture shock is a real thing. So kudos yeah. to him and his wife for taking it on and being brave. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Well, when you think about the fifties following the world war two, um, it was all full of change. Our lives were totally changed there. I mean, I was born in 1940. So, you know, I was just a teenager in the fifties and it was amazing to see life was just very different then. Very different. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nikki Hayes. Chapter four is in the books. We will resume next week with chapter five. I hope you and everyone listening has a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Goodbye. Bye-bye.